final for the Lions Tour in South Africa, a thrilling third test in prospect. Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Union Podcast. We'll also hear the comparison between rugby in America and Ebba Vale coming up later. We'll start in Cape Town. Second test disappointment for the Lions, but it sets up a thrilling finale in the third test. Wales hooker Ken Owens was on the bench for the first two tests. He comes into the starting lineup for the decider. Hugely uh, disappointed and frustrated with the result last Saturday. Plenty to work on, but now we're in a good place. We trained really well this week. Plenty of intensity, and uh, now we're in a good place. Looking forward to the series decider on uh, on Saturday evening. Has confidence, belief taken a hit at all, given the nature of that second test defeat? I don't think so. I think both test matches were very similar. Second half, we probably got the momentum and built that pressure on South Africa, where they'd done that against us in the second test. So, you know, the, the confidence is still there. We know and trust our processes and what we're trying to achieve. And we're here for a, a huge third test series decider on Saturday night, like I said, and, you know, we're in a really good place. We know the challenge that's going to be coming from South Africa because they're going to be in exactly the same position. So it, it all bodes well for a great finale. You and your Welsh teammate, Wynne Jones, have been brought into the front row. How easy is it, though, to fix the set-piece issues from last week? How do you prevent the Springboks getting that physical dominance? Well, we know the challenge they bring. It's something they pride themselves on. It's something we pride ourselves on as well. The, the set-piece was pretty good the week before. Didn't get some stuff right last weekend, so we know that there's fix-ups there. Myself and Wing coming in to start the freshen things up, but you know it's going to be a huge challenge for us. But we're pretty confident in each other's abilities and and the combination. Myself, Wing, and Tyg uh, scrummaged together before. Now we're just looking forward to that challenge that South Africa are going to bring. And how big a challenge is it? What's it like facing the South African team in terms of physicality? You faced a similar battle in the World Cup semi-final, didn't you? We know exactly uh, the challenge they bring. They do pride themselves on it, try to impose themselves physically, like you said. But, you know, it, it is a massive challenge, but we knew that before coming down here. And it's something that we pride ourselves on. We took a bit of a hit with it last week, probably came second best. But I think on this tour, we've been very physical ourselves. So it's going to be a phenomenal test match. Is this the biggest game of your career? In terms of the, the Lions, yes, it is. It's my first start in a test series for the Lions, which I'm hugely proud of, you know, when it's a third test series decider against the world champion. So it definitely is right up there as one of the biggest games, but definitely in a Lions shirt. There's been a bit of talk about the draw. Um, Warren Gatlin is saying he'd like to see extra time if that were to happen. What's your take on that? We haven't spoken about a draw this week at all. So I, I think that's something for you lot to discuss and a mull over for us. We're concentrating on the victory and, and that's all we're, we're here to do. Four years ago, did it leave a, a bit of a strange feeling, a bit of a hollow feeling when it was uh, the series was shared? It was strange right at the end of the game. Not everybody really knowing what was happening, but they were the rules. Yeah, perhaps uh, we would have uh, liked a decider at some point, but we all knew it was, th- it was a three-test series and you know the spoils were even at the end of it and we had to be content with that. Four years ago, obviously the Lions won the second test going into to the third. Can you maybe compare this week and four years ago going into the final test in terms of similarities and differences? A lot of us uh, spoke about momentum and uh, you know winning that second test going into the third. 
if I remember, I think we, we started the third test too great out in New Zealand and built our way into the game. So I think you'd probably say the way South Africa finished the game, the momentum is with them, but we can't look back at what happened last week. We've got to create our own momentum from the start and and the way we've trained has been really good this week. Uh, the non-23 have been exceptional in the way they've uh, you know prepared uh, the boys who were starting, the boys coming off the bench. Uh, it's been a phenomenal squad effort. So for us... It's about starting the game the way we want to start it and uh, and try and control them early early exchanges. As you touched on earlier, your Lions career has been one of making an impact off the bench in test matches so far. Is there a difference to what you're asked to do when you're a starter? Yeah, it's, it is slightly different, I suppose, in, in different ways, but it's still the fundamentals of the game are the same. And I think the way we're going to want to start this test match is um, you know very similar to creating that impact and the energy around the team. So... You know, for me, it's it is a slightly different role, but you know, I've been used to doing it at international level uh, with Wales starting games. So it's it's one I'm looking forward to. It's about being accurate, bringing that energy early on, and uh, and making sure that our set piece is in a, a good place to give us the opportunity to to do what we want to do. On that, they go really hard at the opposition ball at line out time. How difficult does that make it for a hooker? Yeah, it is difficult. You know, they got a lot of threats from in a defensive line now point of view. First test was pretty good. Got things wrong second test, but you know we, we've got a plan going in to hopefully negate that. And and it's just about being accurate and sticking to the plan that we've got. It is tough, but that's where you've got to trust each other and trust your processes. Last week, the Lions got into the South African red zone 11 times, but you only came away with it with two penalties. Is that the key to the game, maybe? Every time you get to the red zone, you've got to come away with points. Yeah, definitely. When you're... In the opposition, 22, support them to make that pressure pay and turn uh, pressure into points. And, you know, we've been pretty good at doing that uh, on tour generally. We didn't do as effectively last week. So it's something that we, we have spoken about and uh, I'm taking our opportunities when they're there. And I think the more pressure we put on South Africa, the more phases we go through, you know, generally we get reward for that. So it's something we did in the first test, didn't quite do enough of in the second test and so third test for us is definitely about building that pressure, going through phases and, and keeping hold of the ball. South Africa have conceded only 12 tries since the start of 2019. That's a span of 15 games. How impressive is that? And maybe how daunting is that? Speaks volume of, of what they're good at, how they pressure teams with their blitz defence and everything they do is work for them. And they've won a World Cup through doing it. And, uh, you know, they're not the best team in the world for nothing. Uh, you've got to be strong in every area. And like you said, the defence has been pretty good. It's something that we need to look at to try and unlock in this week. Just going some more tries, but it is daunting, but it's a challenge as well that we're up for. When you look back on that uh, second test, Ken, uh, was it just a bad second 40 in isolation? And if so, where and how do you rectify it? I think it probably is. You know, we Good first test and finished strongly and started the first half of the second test pretty well. And, you know, we probably just lost the momentum battle. A couple of errors, which gave South Africa the opportunity. They build their game around strong set piece. The week before, we only gave them four attacking line outs. They had a lot more in the second test, which allowed them to get their driving game going and put us under pressure. And um, we've got the blueprint for the win. So we just got to take confidence in, in what we've done well on tour. We've won a test match, lost a test match, so it's all all to play for in the third. And a lot of things are, you know, easy fixes. The Lions have been here before, eight years ago in Australia, having lost in Melbourne in the second test. There aren't many survivors, two of which, though, 
our head coach and captain in that third test in Sydney. How reassuring is that that they've been in this position? Alan Wynn and, um, and Warren Gatland, they've been there and done it and, and seen it all. And, you know, having them around the place and, and their experience, it's huge. And I think it's, it's rubbed off on everybody um, in the way that we've prepared and everybody's been committed to this final week. And uh, the training has been absolutely outstanding. Uh, and, you know, that's been led by Warren and, and Alan Wynn, obviously. Just a final one, Ken, on someone you know very well, Wynn Jones. Hartick, before the first test, was initially picked to come back after injury and get his chance now. And you won't be surprised to hear that there have been a fair few in the Llandevry area on the airwaves back home. Oh, no, it's great. It was obviously, um, you know, who's you proud of, of Wynn getting the call for the first test and, and obviously devastation a couple of days later when he was uh, ruled out. But I'm just... No, just glad that he's managed to uh, get himself back to fitness and um, and has got that starting jersey. He's been outstanding um, for Scarlets and Wales over the past couple of years, and it's just great uh, to have the opportunity to to play with him for the Lions. And I'm sure that uh, Roger Cymru and Radio Wales have been absolutely inundated with um, with Handel on on the radio back at home. Uh, a very proud man of Llandovery, but no, it's great that uh, he gets this opportunity, and I'm sure he will do everybody in Llandovery. Proud on, uh, on the weekend. Former Wales coach Warren Gatlin's the man making the hard decisions, of course. So, what was his thinking behind the team selection for this third test? Yeah, we just felt that there were certain things from the weekend in terms of particularly the aerial battle, and you know we just got nothing out of that. So, you know, that was one of the areas. Disappointed with the last twenty minutes in terms of we've given away eight penalties in, in the last twenty minutes, and four of them we considered were, were pretty needless and. and ones that we shouldn't have given away and not complaining about the result and fairness to South Africa, they finished strongly, but tight game. We were happy with the first half and where we were and at 60 minutes on the clock, there's nothing in the game. So yeah, we just felt that when Jones was very, very unlucky, picked up that injury in the first test, he's back fit. And so it's that sort of combination with winning Ken in, in the front row. And then Ali's done pretty well in the first test. So we swapped our nines around and then, with uh, Bundy and Robbie, you know, they've got a pretty familiar combination. That midfield's always been a bit of a discussion and a bit of a debate for us and the physicality that Bundy brought and, and the A game and stuff. So, and that combination of them two working together and then just giving the chance to move Robbie one, one out. Were you tempted to make more changes or is there a danger that you throw the baby out with the bathwater almost? Yeah, you're just trying to get that balance right. I think if I go back to the same thing, Four years ago, we made we made six changes. So, and I think it's credit to the players because there have been so many tight calls and so many you're having a long discussion about selection and trying to get the right combination and thinking about players to start and impact coming off the bench. So, yes, yeah, there's definitely been some really really tough and tight calls on this tour. And do you change your approach, your game plan as well, or? Just the personnel, do you stick to what led to success? Oh, definitely. Look, we we definitely want to play some more rugby than and we just didn't get that opportunity in the second half. And the first half we got some of the, the bounces we did in the first test in terms of the aerial stuff. And basically we got nothing from the air in, in the second half. And point mean South Africa kicked the ball 20, 22 times in the second half. We've only kicked it 10 times. We've tried to go out there and get some momentum and play some rugby and we just never got into the game in that last 20 minutes or so so and that's why there's a couple of changes and Finn Russell comes on the bench because he's a little bit different and 
a two tens are, are very good at what they do and, and quite similar. And he offers us something a little bit different. Warren, in terms of the issues that you wanted to address, how do you deal with those? Is it simply a case of just repetition out on the training park? We understand how much they're going to kick the ball. They don't. If you look at the game, I mean, there was two tries scored by then through through kick pressure. And like I said, they got a lot of stuff from from the aerial battle and then got some scrums or some turnovers. That's the way the game's been played at the moment. And then, you know, if you do win that, it does give you an opportunity to be attacking and to move the ball. And defences are so tight, there's very, very little space for, for, for both teams. So you, know, you get down there and you've got to look at playing through the phases and keeping the ball. And when, when we did that, we put them under pressure. When we were playing through four or five phases, then they gave away a penalty and we were able to keep that pressure on. So we've just got to make sure that we do more of that. We've got to be positive in terms of shifting the ball when when we do create opportunities. And they, those are the things that we, we're working on hard this week. The second test was actually the lowest amount of ball in play on the tour so far. Is that something that you have to up or is that just the nature of a test match against South Africa and therefore you have to be more precise when you get the ball? I think there's two things here. One is looking at the ball and keeping the ball and also talking to the officials about making sure that we keep the game flowing. I mean, I think we felt like that every every scrum there was an injury slowing the game down. I think we had something like 14 minutes of TMO time in, in the game and and we've worked pretty hard from a conditioning point of view and really, really stopped start. And that made it frustrating for us. And we want to keep the tempo of the game up to get there, get the ball in our scrums, to get the ball in quickly at lineouts, to play and to get a flow. And South Africa at the moment don't want to do that. You know, everything is so stop started that it does make it frustrating. And I know Alan Wynne Jones was talking to the referee about a number of occasions about keeping it going. And uh, we had stud changes, we had TMO decisions, we had the referee stopping the game for cramp. That'll be one of the things that I talked to the referees this week when we discuss, you know, we need to make sure that, you know, we can't have 60-odd minute halves. I mean, it's important that we, you know, we keep that the flow of the game. As much from a spectator point of view, you know, we, we want to see some pretty good rugby and we, we didn't see some great rugby played on the weekend. Is that you saying that if you're going to win on Saturday, you do need to, to pick the speed of the game up? Yeah, I mean, it would help if we didn't have if players going down for injuries on a regular basis and stopping and he want that flow in the game so you and we've seen from other games when we've had that tempo that we've played some really good rugby and it was very frustrating and for us and you know particularly for Alan Wynn on the weekend he was talking to the referee on a number of occasions asking to speed up and you could hear the ref through his mics as well sort of encouraging both teams to keep the flow of the game going because it was so slow so yeah we, we definitely want some tempo you know, particularly you know, with the team going with a 6-2 split as well and and just how long the halves have been, but how little minutes in play that we're actually getting. So it's definitely something that's not to our advantage and we need to you know, work on that and make sure that we try and definitely keep that tempo up for this weekend. And you mentioned that you, you want to play a bit more rugby. Are you concerned about the lack of creativity? And did you give any thought to bringing in a second playmaker in the midfield, whether it was an Owen Farrell at 12 or an Elliot Daly at 13? Just having the ball at the right time to do that and picking up is not so much about the creativity. It's just about making sure that we get some front foot ball and whatever. And you know, I wouldn't say that South Africa have been creative in, in any way in, in terms of that, you know, from a attacking perspective, haven't really stressed us. And like I said, we've played some good rugby earlier in this tour. And if we can get some front foot ball 
on the weekend, we had some some good phases. We've highlighted and identified to the players where we have created some chances and probably just haven't executed them. So, you know, that's the thing we'll be working hard on uh, training this week. And, you know, particularly with South Africa, the way that they defend with that sort of rush defence closed and everything, and it doesn't give you a lot of time and space. And that's why it's so important to get on the front foot and to get some go forward, whether that's three or forwards or, or hitting it up or... You know, variation of positive kicking game to slow a bit of their line speed that gives you just a little bit more time on the ball to create more space. Well, why didn't you include Tyke Byrne in the squads? The two second rows have you know both played 80 minutes and one of the strengths of someone like Adam Beard is his mall defence, you know, he was outstanding and the the South African A game did a great job. To be honest, he was quite unlucky not to start the first test in the second row. So we felt that we need something like that to negate one of their strengths if it's if they go to that in the game. And so Tig's been, you know, he's been unlucky. And then and Sam Simmons, you know, we talked about some of the guys we've got on the bench. And as the game breaks up, and he hasn't had a huge amount of opportunities, but he's been training well. He's got that speed and power, and 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 hopefully he gets a chance if the game does loosen up a little bit. listening to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. And that would be nice to see. But now for something completely different. The Major League Rugby season has just finished in America. Catch the final on YouTube if you can. It's quite a game. Former Ebervale and Dragons fullback Carl Mayer is now based in New Orleans playing for Nola Gold. They missed out on the playoffs by the narrowest of margins. Graeme Gillespie spoke to him about his time with Ebervale and life now in the MLR. So what are your memories with Ebervale and the Dragons in particular? Uh, with Ebervale, man, I was uh, I felt really at home and uh, had a real family feel over there. I mean, I got over there, I think it was early 2013. I think I joined them uh, just on a six-month sports visa. Jason Strange obviously saw some of my clips and we got in contact and he, he wanted to bring me over and see if I was a good fit. And from the moment I touched down, I had people messaging me, asking me if I needed anything, just reach out. And I, I felt at home straight away. And then actually getting to the stadium, meeting some of the supporters, and then uh, our first training and game day was just literally felt right at home. Everyone was really welcoming us. Yeah. They'd swear they'd, they'd known me for ages, the way they greeted me. And I, I just really, really loved that, which made my start at Everville really, really good. I think I joined them when I was 23, just looking for an opportunity to try get into professional rugby. And I knew that they had the link with the Dragons in their region. So I had nothing really set in stone. I just uh, I'd come over with, with a dream and, uh, and a drive to see if I would be just seen or given an opportunity and, and just took it from there. As it turned out, things worked out all right, didn't you? Because uh, yeah, they did. the Dragons. They did, they did. I was like really no shot in the dark. I think I was literally a start off with just the first six month visa with nothing guaranteed on the back of that. And then after playing and performing, Jason wanted me to come back, finish off the season. Went back home, did the same visa, came back for another six months, closed out the season. And then uh, we looked to get a, a long term visa for me to stay. And then that's how I, I got into start training with the Dragons and then got my shot and, and, and then signed with them. And, and then obviously they looked to go a different way. Felt like I performed well enough to stay and continue my time there. But everything I believe happens for a reason. So I was a bit disappointed, but it led to different opportunities. And now 
two years, I think, after that. I'm here in America playing rugby. Yeah, and, so can and you explain it. how that's come about? Uh, so after my departure from the Dragons, I stayed at Ebervale for a bit, ended up my visa, played down there uh, while I was looking for different opportunities. We, we were speaking to a few teams in France and in Europe, and then my agent got in touch with me because he represented one or two players that were here in the, the MLR in its second season. And he told me that they are really, really blowing up and the league's growing at a great rapid rate and America is taking to it. So he's like, that's an opportunity for us to maybe look at. Got me in touch with, with Nola Gold's GM, Ryan Fitzgerald. Um, he got in contact with me and from there we headed off. We had a great uh, back and forth. I loved what the club was doing. It was very, very similar to Ebervale's family culture. Everyone buying into to a good culture and I was all about that. And the opportunity to maybe help bring some experience and knowledge to grow in some of the rugby here in America was a big pull for me. So when that opportunity came up, I was like, yeah, let's take it and see where it goes. Yeah. So when does the season run from over there? So this year it got pushed back, obviously, due to COVID, but yeah. it's generally around beginning of February till July, August, six month season. And then we're off into then the preseason starts up again, I guess, uh, end of November, beginning of December. Obviously, you're signed and then you're looking forward to a great new campaign with the boys and then COVID strikes. What happens then? Did you stay in USA or go back to South Africa? Or Yeah, I ended up staying for the full off-season because I was really unsure at the time when it all struck about whether flights would be let back in and all those things. And Nola looked after me really well here and I was able to help out with as COVID started leaning off, helping up with some coaching programs and uh, just sort of stay here and focus on just getting a good off-season in going into the preseason ready for hopefully a full season, which it looks like we're getting now. It's a really big, maybe I'll say culture shock here. Just in New Orleans, there's a whole bunch of different cultures all living in yeah, one yeah. city, and which is pretty cool. You get to experience a whole bunch of different cultures all at the same time, and you get yeah. to see all of that. And the food down here is unbelievable. You get a whole bunch of different stuff, and yeah, we love to eat. So we get uh, that checked out. And I think everything is just a lot more fast-paced and obviously bigger down here than back at home in South Africa. Uh, I run a whole lot differently. So, yeah, it was a bit of a, a different adjustment, but really, really enjoying it down here. We've actually got a whole bunch of apartment complexes where majority of the boys stay. We kind of all quite close as it is as well. So we get to spend good quality time training. And when we get away, we get to just spend some time together outside of the pitch and sort of build that chemistry that Nola Gold is known for. So uh, tell us a bit about the team then. What, what sort of standard would you say the boys are comparing it to something over here in the UK? It's pretty much close to par in terms of the way the game's played, the physicality, the pace. Everyone here has got that mindset of, of looking to grow the game and the way they're looking to play is really exciting, fast-paced rugby, which is really attractive. And then you've got some really experienced players also starting to join into the league and I think the growth is at a rapid rate. So... There's so much potential for what it's doing and, and the growth of which it's growing at is unbelievable and it's awesome to be a part of. Really good, great standard to be playing. It's only going to keep improving each year. Yeah, because you mentioned uh, some of the players over there. you got like people like Chris Robshaw and Ben Foden, haven't you, sort of trying to raise the profile. Does it get a lot of coverage over there in the, in the newspapers, for instance, and on the website? I mean, do Americans know what rugby is now? Yes, they're starting to catch on. I think before, I remember last year when I first got over here, I was speaking to some people about if they know that we have a rugby team down here and they were like, oh, I didn't know that there was a rugby team and so on. So last year, they started gaining a lot of traction and now this year, with there's a lot more 
publicity. There's a lot more. It's available on a new streaming website, the Rugby Network, which is free for anyone to access. It's on um, all the smart TVs, so you're able to access it in, in your home. And it's coverage on some of the, the major channels here as well. So the growth is at a good pace. And I think a lot more Americans are being exposed to it and just being exposed to it and experiencing one game for them. I think they've fallen in love with, with the sport because it, for us, I think we're in, a, we're in a good window because it's outside of the, the football season, which if they do or die is American football. They had that six months where there's, there's no football. And we're in that second space of six months where they get to still see some fast-paced, high-physical, good sport. You've obviously spent a lot of time in Ibervale. I, I can just imagine the wet, miserable training nights uh, down there. And what is that, 10 o'clock in the morning there? And it's already like 25 degrees or something, isn't it? So yeah, it, training must be a totally different ballpark for you now, is it? So Louisiana, it's, it went from the one extreme to the other. So it's a lot colder and stuff down Ibervale, where up here it's really hot and humid. So we got to make sure that hydration and I've got a lot of sunscreen now. So <laughs> we're, we're in hats and training, so I don't get burnt. And it is a, a different change of pace. And it, and it definitely affects sort of the style of rugby you get to play when it's not as wet and cold and, and rainy. Yeah, we get to throw it around a bit more and a, a lot more uh, entertaining. And I think uh, highlights a bit more of my attributes. Now, I'm a little bit older than you, but I can always remember... Um people saying that America is going to be the next big thing when it comes to rugby. It's just never happened. Do you think in this league is a step in the right direction that maybe yet yeah, could happen actually further down the line? Absolutely. I think because I, I did understand there was a, a professional league that was trying to be bought in a few years prior to the MLR. And I think kind of got to like one or two seasons and then just never really kicked on. Whereas the MLR have established themselves and have got really good people running it from behind the scenes and making sure that the growth is steady with everything and putting out all the things necessary to ensure that the growth continues to go upwards instead of just stable out. And I think we're starting to get into a lot more schools and high schools and getting them an understanding of what rugby is. And yeah. there's some high schools that have actually got some rugby programs. So I think in a good couple of years, if the, the growth continues the way it is, I think America will definitely a sleeping giant in terms of rugby with, with all the athletic potential that they have down here. If they just bringing it in through the grassroots, I think the, it'll be a really, really big, big thing down here. I love some of the names on the, uh, you, got, you got the Houston Sabercats, New England Free Jacks, Seattle Seawolves, yeah. <laughs> some amazing names there. But <laughs> yeah. people over here seem to gripe if they have to travel up to North Wales to play RGC. But you look at those teams and how far they're spread out in America. What sort of time do you spend traveling to games in that? I knew America was a big place. I just didn't realize how big it was because yeah. some games will fly and it'll be a good four or five hour flight. We're in the same country <laughs> and we're flying, flying a four hour flight to a different state. We travel pretty much just how we would when I was at the Dragons. It would be the day before, we'll travel down early, we'll get there, settle down, do our captain's run, and then Saturday we'd play and then the Sunday we would fly back. So pretty much exactly the same way as anywhere in the UK. Is the competition as strong as you thought it would be or is it better than you thought it would be or the standard play between the teams? It's definitely a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Initially coming over, because obviously it was a new league, everyone's sort of finding their straps and then I haven't really known too much of, of the USA rugby. I knew that athletically it was going to be just as good. Just was the question of how the skill set would be compared to all over the world. But Coming over here, it's 
just as physical, just as fast-paced, and the skills are definitely right up there. So it's definitely a, a lot better than what I expected, and it's just grateful to be playing in the, in the competition. How far are you kicking the ball over there? Because you kicked it pretty far over here. So in that light here, <laughs> you must be kicking it the full length of the pitch, are you? Yeah, I'm getting a good 80 metres plus on the kicks. Yeah. You certainly can kick the ball, but that's still quite something. Interesting views on the development of rugby in the United States. Next week, we'll bring it closer to home with a focus on North Wales, so listen out for that. But until then, from the Welsh Rugby Union podcast, goodbye. Goodbye.